the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. The Apostle Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 3.15. He said, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give a defense to give an explanation, the word is, or defense, to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Now Peter is telling us that we should always be ready to give an explanation of the gospel to anyone who asks us what we believe about Christ and why do we believe this about Christ. And he says, notice, very important, at the end, He tells us that we are to do this with gentleness and reverence. You could say the thoughts are gentleness and humility. But sadly, that's often not the case. I've observed Christians not being gentle, not being humble, but rather being argumentative, disagreeing with unbelievers about biblical issues that actually have no relevance at all to the gospel. Thinking that they're sharing Jesus in reality, what they're doing, folks, is they're trying to win an argument. give an account of the hope that is in you. Welcome to Verse by Verse as we are studying Acts chapter 10 and the story about how the gospel came to the Gentiles. This has been a fascinating study so far, and our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, has more for us today. Specifically, we are going to talk about sharing the gospel. We are told God's word does not return void, but will accomplish his purpose. However, we can't just throw a bunch of Bible verses at someone and hope they put their faith in Christ. The presentation of the gospel must be clear and accurate. It also should be presented gently, as we just heard. How does all this work together? Well, let's find out on today's Verse by Verse. It was during my second year in college when a young man on campus approached me and he asked me if he could speak to me about what I believed concerning Jesus Christ. He had heard that I was a believer in Jesus and he wanted to find out what I believed about him. He wanted to know more about the Lord. He wanted to know about the gospel. So we agreed to meet in my dormitory room and it was there that I literally told him everything I knew because I didn't know a whole lot. And I told him everything I knew about Christ. And to my great surprise and my delight, before he left my room, he prayed to receive Christ as his Savior. And that was my very first experience of having anyone I ever witnessed to come to faith in the Lord. Looking back at that day, because it was so long ago, I actually wonder what I said to that young man about Christ or how I explained the gospel to him. I know that I could not have been very articulate. I know that I could not have been very clear, 
about the gospel message because being such a new believer myself, I wasn't well versed in the various truths of the gospel. Because this happened so long ago, as I said, I just don't remember what I said to him. But knowing me, I know that I must have rambled on and been all over the map about a lot of inconsequential information about Jesus and the Bible, because that is how I used to witness in those days. But on that particular day, God, in his great mercy, used what I said about Christ and the gospel, rambling and unclear as I must have been, to bring this young man to himself. However, in spite of the fact that God does do this at times, he does at times use unclear gospel presentations like mine to lead someone to Christ. It's not the norm. And it should never be used as justification for not learning how to intelligently and clearly communicate the message of salvation. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a hodgepodge of Bible facts and trivia and information. There is a definite content, an intelligent flowing content of certain biblical truths that make up the message of the gospel, and it is the responsibility of every believer in Christ to know what that content is so that when God does open a door, when he does open an opportunity for you to give a full presentation of the gospel, you know what to say. The apostle Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 3.15, he said, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give a defense To give an explanation, the word is, or defense, to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Now Peter is telling us that we should always be ready to give an explanation of the gospel to anyone who asks us what we believe about Christ and why do we believe this about Christ. And he says, notice, very important, at the end, He tells us that we are to do this with gentleness and reverence. You could say the thoughts are gentleness and humility. But sadly, that's often not the case. I've observed Christians not being gentle, not being humble, but rather being argumentative, disagreeing with unbelievers about biblical issues that actually have no relevance at all to the gospel, thinking that they're sharing Jesus. In reality, what they're doing, folks, is they're trying to win an argument. I recall hearing some Italian believers in Sicily having a very heated discussion with some unbelievers. And now I don't know the Italian language enough. I didn't know exactly what they were saying, but a heated discussion is a heated discussion in any language. I knew that. So when I inquired later of some believers as to what these people were arguing about, it turns out they were arguing about whether it was right or not to worship the Virgin Mary. Now, It's certainly wrong to worship Mary, no question about that, but talking about her in a witnessing situation, that's not sharing the gospel. And there are other Christians who, while they may not argue over biblical issues, they allow their gospel witnessing to get sidetracked into discussing peripheral matters and irrelevant questions, like whether or not the Bible is really the Word of God. Or what happens to those people who have never heard of Christ? They live in the jungles. They've never heard of Christ. What about those people? 
Now, granted, those are important issues, but if we aren't careful, we can easily find ourselves spending the bulk of our time in witnessing, trying to answer questions like that, and we never get around to witnessing. We actually neglect to share the message of the gospel. And you see, behind all of those diversions, whether people recognize this or not, is Satan, as he attempts to make sure that you can tell them everything else but the gospel, because the devil doesn't want the gospel being shared. So if the devil can get you distracted from giving the truth of the gospel by discussing irrelevant topics and arguing over things not related to that person's salvation, then he has succeeded, and that happens many, many times. I've learned over the years something that I'll share with you on a practical level. What I do when I'm in a situation like that and these questions begin to be asked of me and I'm trying to share the gospel, I found that it's helpful when someone interrupts me as I'm trying to go through the gospel, they interrupt to ask a question to say, you know what, that's a good question. Why don't you let me finish what I was saying? And if that's still something that you want me to address later, then just bring it up. Most of the time they never bring it up. But I get back to the gospel because that is most important. You see, what is critical in witnessing about Christ is to stay on track. To stay on track so that you clearly explain the gospel so that people understand how it is that one can be right with God. That brings us this morning to our study in Acts chapter 10 because it's here in this chapter where we observe Peter, the apostle Peter, telling a group of Gentile unbelievers the message of the gospel. As you recall from previous sermons in Acts 10, much of this chapter is about a Gentile Roman centurion stationed in Caesarea, up the coast in Israel, northern part. His name was Cornelius, who God, through an angel, instructs this man, Cornelius, to call for the apostle Peter so that he can hear from Peter how to be saved and how to be forgiven of his sins. So, Cornelius being very excited about this because he was a God-fearing man and therefore desirous to know how to be forgiven of his sins, Cornelius not only sends some messengers to Joppa down the road a bit where Peter was staying, requesting that he come up to Caesarea, but Cornelius so excited about all this that's happening, Cornelius gathers his family and his closest friends to his home so that when Peter finally arrives at his house, he finds all of these people, Gentiles, eagerly waiting to hear what he has to say from God. Now, what makes this situation so special and so unique is that this is the very first time in the history of the church, that a group of Gentiles will hear the gospel. And as the chapter reveals, they're going to receive the gospel message. They're going to be saved. And as a result, they will become a part of the body of Christ, a part of the church, having the same exact spiritual status as their Jewish brethren. However, none of this, none of this would have happened. This would not have taken place if Peter had not preached the gospel to them because Scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word about Christ. In other words, God brings about faith in Christ in that person's heart as they hear the word of God about Jesus Christ and salvation. So regardless of how eager Cornelius and his circle of Gentiles were to hear about salvation, they would 
not have been saved unless they heard the word of God about salvation in Christ spoken by Peter. Now, several weeks ago, we began to look at Peter's words to these Gentiles, focusing on the specific biblical truths he said to them. Why? Because those are the biblical truths that make up the content, the objective truths of the gospel. So whatever Peter proclaimed to them, we have to know. We want to know so that when we have the opportunity to share the message of the gospel, we'll be certain to say the same things. But keep this in mind. This doesn't mean that we have to use the same precise words that Peter used, but it does mean that we should make sure that we include in any gospel presentation the same basic theological truths that Peter included in his gospel presentation. Say it in your own words, but make sure you get the essence of thought, the biblical truths there. We should also keep in mind that Luke, the writer of Acts, is only giving us Peter's message in a skeletal form. It's just in a summary form, which means that Peter certainly would have expanded on many of these truths, just as we have the freedom to expand on them when we share the gospel. But regardless of how much we say or how brief we are, the basic truths that Peter proclaimed is what we must proclaim. Because these are the truths that make up the gospel. And there is only one gospel message. There is only one message by which people are saved. It's this message. As we saw in our study last time, we looked at Acts 10. We saw that Peter began his gospel presentation with the foundational truth that there is peace with God only through Jesus Christ. He said in verse 36, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He's Lord of all. Now as Peter begins, and this is his beginning, as he begins to explain the gospel, the first thing he tells his audience is that the message that God initially, originally sent to the Jewish people and what they as Gentiles are now about to hear is about how to be at peace with God and that this peace comes through Jesus Christ. And the reason that Peter begins here, and it's important that you understand this, the reason he begins here with this issue of peace is because he wants these people to understand right from the get-go, he wants them to understand that they are in need of Christ. They have a need, a spiritual need. You see, in telling his audience about peace with God coming through Christ, Peter's actually telling them that they aren't presently at peace with God. Why would you need to be at peace with him if you have peace with him? So he's telling them they're not at peace with him and that they need to be at peace with him. And the only way for there to be peace has to do with Jesus Christ. Although Luke, the writer who's relating this to us, doesn't explicitly tell us this, no doubt Peter would have stopped and explained to his audience that the reason they're not at peace with God is because they're rebellious sinners, like all. And all rebellious sinners have declared war on God. They're fighting him. They're rejecting his word. They're living according to their own standards, their own understanding, their own self-established rules. They're going their way, doing whatever they want to do. That's rebellion against God. Everywhere you look in scripture, you see the same truth about people, about ourselves we see. that We're sinners who are hostile towards God. Romans 5.10 refers to us as enemies of God. Romans 8, 7 specifically says that we are hostile towards God. We are at enmity with him. Ephesians 2, 3 refers to us as children of wrath. In Colossians 1, 21, Paul says we were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Folks, that's all of us. 
So when you tell someone the gospel, you have to tell them the truth about themselves, that they are sinners and that being a sinner is not a comfortable thing. Being a sinner is a serious, serious, serious problem. It is the most serious problem in life because God is holy, righteous, just, and therefore because he's holy, he must punish sin. He will by no means clear the guilty, the Bible says. Therefore, they must know that they're not on good terms with God. They're on bad terms with him. They're at war with him. I can't stress this enough, that every time you share the gospel, you must tell the person that you're talking to that they are sinful, and therefore they are in need of God's deliverance from coming judgment. That's their great need. See, the message of the gospel is how to be delivered from the penalty of one's sin, which is what? It is eternal judgment in hell. It's not how to have a better life. It's not how to improve your marriage. It's not how to improve any conditions now. Now, That may be the result of coming to Christ, but that's not the gospel. It's not about making your time on earth better. It's about how to be saved from the coming wrath of God's judgment. It's about how to be prepared for eternity. Therefore, it's imperative that we tell those we witness to about their sinful condition. And one thing I have found to be very helpful in doing this is to use the Ten Commandments to show people that they have failed to obey God. They haven't obeyed the commandments. They are sinners by virtue of this failure. See, the Ten Commandments, they're an expression of God's holiness. And one of the purposes of these commandments is to reveal how we have constantly violated them. The purpose of the law is to show us that we haven't kept the law. See, everyone without exception has disobeyed, not one or two, all these commandments. All of them. Because the divine intention of these laws was never for us to only obey them outwardly, but also to obey them inwardly in our hearts. That's why Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount said that if you hate someone in your heart, then you're guilty of murder in God's eyes. He said, now the rabbis always said this, thou shalt not murder. But he said they didn't take it far enough. They just thought that was about physically not murdering someone. But Jesus said, if you have anger, hatred in your heart towards someone, as far as God is concerned, in his eyes, you've murdered that individual. Likewise, he said, if a man has lustful thoughts for a woman, then he is guilty of adultery in God's eyes. So in witnessing to someone, you can use the Ten Commandments to show them that their whole life has been an ongoing rebellion against God. Most people, most people, if they have any kind of a somewhat Judeo-Christian ethic background will tell you, well, I try to obey the Ten Commandments. I think my good outweighs my bad. Not true. First of all, they probably don't even know the Ten Commandments. I had that experience with a young man who said, I keep the commandments. I said, would you mind telling me what they are? And he didn't know. But he was sure he kept them. No one's kept them. We've all made idols of many things in our lives. That's breaking the first commandment. We've all at times taken God's name in vain. Listen, I hear believers taking God's name in vain. So I know unbelievers are doing it a lot. They've lied. They haven't always honored their parents. They've coveted many things, which includes the sins of pride and envy and jealousy They've murdered others in their hearts and they've committed adultery in their hearts and on and on it goes. So this is where we start when we tell individuals the gospel. We start by telling them the horrible position 
they're in. They are a rebellious sinner who's at war with God. And the only way they can be at peace with him is through Jesus Christ. Now, at this point, Peter hasn't explained how Jesus Christ brings about peace between God and man. He's just mentioned that peace comes through Jesus Christ. And you see, what Peter's doing is he's building a case. He's establishing a rationale as to why these people need to trust Christ as their Savior. And this is where he begins, by saying that God offers peace to them through Jesus Christ. And having just briefly mentioned Jesus in connection with God's peace, Peter immediately moves on to tell his audience more about Jesus, specifically who he is and what he's done in relation to salvation and how he, Christ, is the key to being at peace with God. And so as Peter continues speaking, he gives a second truth that must be included in every gospel presentation. He tells them who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. Now, I want you to notice how Peter concludes his statement in verse 36. If you look back at verse 36, he concludes it by saying, he's Lord of all. What he means by this is that Jesus Christ is God. He's God, both of the Gentiles, as well as God of the Jews. So he's Lord of all, because God shows no partiality or favoritism. Now, as you recall, this truth about God not showing any partiality or favoritism is what Peter had said in his opening remarks to these Gentiles. Back in verse 34, we read, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. And now he's simply declaring that the God who isn't partial is none other than Jesus Christ. See, in stating that Jesus is Lord, Peter is very clearly declaring the deity of Christ. This is a truth that the New Testament declares over and over and over again. For example, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hebrews 1, 3, speaking of Christ. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. And I love Hebrews 1.8 because it's God the Father speaking to God the Son and here's what he says. But of the Son, he says, of the Son who says, God the Father says this, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. That's a quote from the Psalms. But it is God, the Father, speaking to the Son, and he calls him God. Colossians 1.15, at the beginning of 1.15, says, he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus one day said to one of his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what the Father is like? See me. See, the deity of Jesus Christ is an essential truth of the gospel. Because if Jesus Christ is not God, then there is no salvation. Because his atoning death had to be of an infinite and eternal nature in order to pay the infinite and eternal price of our sin. And that could only be accomplished by the infinite and eternal God. So when you're sharing the gospel, you have to tell people that Jesus is God. But you can't stop there. In addition to telling them his deity, you also have to tell them about his humanity, that he is fully man, yet without sin. That is to say that God 
became a man. And that's exactly what Peter proceeds to do in the next couple of verses. Notice verses 37, 38. He says to his audience, you yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, after stating that Jesus is Lord, Peter tells these Gentiles that Jesus is also a man. And he does this by telling them something they were all familiar with, namely the earthly ministry of Jesus. Why were they familiar with this? Because they lived in Caesarea. Who is Jesus Christ? Understanding that is key to presenting the gospel. As we just heard Pastor Steve say, when we share the gospel, we must present Jesus as God in the flesh. If Jesus is not God, our salvation is non-existent. On our next verse-by-verse broadcast, we will see that part of Peter's presentation of the gospel to Cornelius and the others in his home was that fact that Jesus was not only God but also a human. Why is that important? Well, I'm going to hold off on answering that question and leave it to Pastor Steve in our next broadcast. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you live in the Clearwater area, you are invited to join in the worship at Lakeside. For more information, please visit lakesidechapel.com. That's lakesidechapel.com. On our next broadcast, we will continue to explore the topic of Jesus Christ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.